Over the last four years or so, I, every time this year, get to go to career day at my kids' elementary. This year, I got to go on Friday. Little did I know that when I went, that on career day, I would experience a career change. That's what happened Friday. So, what happens on career day is different groups come in for about a three-hour span, and um, you share the same thing with them about who you are and what you do. And so it's fun, because I get to talk about the church, and I get to talk about pastoring, and I get to talk about Jesus, and share the gospel. So it's great. And so as they come in, the second group comes in, and, and what's really cool is they have class representatives who get up and announce who the speaker is and what they do. And so <laughs> this little guy gets up, and he's standing next to me, and he's got his sheet to read off, and he leans over, and he says, hey, your name's not on here. <laughs> what do you do? And I said, just make something up. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, just make something up. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, just go for it. And so well, he says, well, this is Mr. Jerry, and he's Iron Man. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> I was so excited. He was excited. But everybody else in the room looked at me and went, What? So I went home and I told my wife, I said, honey, I'm Iron Man. And she said, I've always known that. <laughs> right there. Right there. All right, we're done. Me and my wife are going home. No, just kidding. All right. All right. Woo. All right. See you later. All right, here we go. Hey, but this is what was really cool. All right, here's what was really cool. Is after the fourth group, I was hanging around. There's only like about a minute in between the groups come in and um, so this fourth grader stays around and he goes hey he goes my dad used to go to church I said really? he goes yeah he said but he stopped and he said I so wish he'd go back I said really? he goes yeah he said because he was different. I said, wow. He was? He said, yeah. He said, um, he, he had changed what he was doing, and, and he said, he, I wish he'd go back so he'd be sober again. And I just sat there, and I thought, wow, wow. And I said, hey, man. I said, I'm going to pray for your dad. I'm going to pray for you, pray for your dad. And it just, it struck me. I just sat there. I was like, man, Lord, that's, that's life. That's, that's the world we live in. That's, that's why we do this. That's why we do this. And that's why stories like today mean so much. And so as we look at the text today, I pray that you realize, remember, recognize that Jesus changes lives. Because guess what? That little fourth grader, he was saying that. He was saying, 
I recognize something powerful that the church declares in the person of Jesus Christ that he changes lives. That's what Jesus does. And so today I want you to to feel that. I want you to hear that. I want you to see that and walk away and be astounded by it because that's how people were when they came face to face with life change. And so Jesus is in one of the cities in verse 12. And there was a man covered full with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he implored him, the man did with leprosy, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus is doing what he does. He pours his life into ministry. He went through the cities doing that. He would teach. He would heal. As we saw in Luke 4, 18 through 19, we see his purpose. We see his mission to preach to the poor, to preach and uh, the release uh, and freedom to captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's why Jesus came. And so while ministering, a man with what seems to be an extremely serious case of leprosy seeks Jesus out. News of Jesus had somehow made it to his very fragile and leper-covered ears. And so leprosy is still on the earth today, but probably most of us have never seen it. It's horrible. It's debilitating. It's painful. It's a skin disease. It looks like this. I put a picture up there of one smiling because all the other pictures probably will make us sick to our stomach, if we're honest. It's a debilitating skin disease, if you'll keep that up there. With leprosy, one experiences great discomfort and pain. With leprosy, one would not even attempt to take baths. You know why? Because their wounds were open and their sores they got touched by the water, it would be excruciating. Over time, serious nerve damage would occur, leaving the leper numb and desensitized. Even the leper, if it would hit or bump into something, would eventually lose that limb. Could you imagine living with this kind of suffering for years? It has been stated that some will even live as long as 20 years with this very debilitating disease. Could you imagine suffering like that? Leprosy would affect someone so greatly that they would have to live outside the city because it was contagious. If you coughed, if you sneezed, it would go airborne and droplets through sneezing or coughing would land on someone and somebody would catch it. So one couldn't go to to work, they couldn't go to the store, they couldn't go to Starbucks, they couldn't go and do normal things that people do with other people. They were always alone. You couldn't hang out with your family. You were completely alone. Now, every now and then, maybe a family member or a friend would drop something off at a place that was viewed as a safe zone, but leprosy would consume the life of the one with it. So much so, that became their identity. That's why they would be simply called a leper. They took that identity on. People, when walking by you, would walk far away, and even yell unclean and scream it. Women and kids would walk around screaming and running from lepers. People would carry rocks around, and whenever they see a leper, they would throw the rock at them. It was very common in Jesus' day. Leprosy, as one writer said, is a living death. A living death. Now, some thought all lepers were cursed of God because of sin in their life. That's what they believed. 
That is what religious people would say, but that's not always the truth. That's not necessarily the case. Though we do see examples of one like Usa in Scripture who in judgment was stricken with leprosy, sure, that was his case. That's not always the case. You can turn to Leviticus 13, also 14, and see how God treated the leper. The Israelites treated the leper, the instructions they were given as a community and how they were to treat the one stricken with leprosy. So as you think about leprosy, and as you think about this text this morning, it's very unusual as this man with leprosy goes into this very public city, this very public scene. Imagine as he is walking in the city among people with his body fully covered, ears, nose, eyelids, fingers, and maybe even missing an eye as a result, with maybe people yelling, unclean, maybe even throwing rocks, screaming at him as he walks up to Jesus. And what does he do? He falls on his face, which could be a very painful act. But he falls on his face. He worships at Jesus' face. That's what this position is. It's a position of desperation, a position of humility. And he says, Lord, and what I would call a beautiful prayer. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is him reaching out for help. Maybe we've been there before where we've been in a desperate situation. And we've reached out for help. And that's what this guy does. He reached out for help to the only one who is loving and powerful to heal. The only one who could change his life. And he believes in that moment, this, lepros, this one le- stricken with leprosy does, and he trusts in Jesus to make him clean by removing his leprosy. That's what he's asking Jesus to do. And so he calls to Jesus. He says, Lord, <laughs> stating that, yes, he believes that Jesus has authority. He believes that Jesus has authority over diseases like leprosy. And so he submits himself to the power and the authority of Jesus Christ to change his condition and situation. And look how Jesus responds. He stretched out his hand. He touched the leper. What? Can you imagine that? Picture of the lady we just saw. Could you imagine going up and touching her hand? What that must have felt like. And Jesus says to the one with leprosy, I'm willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. See, this is Jesus' response to the man's desperate request. He reached out with his hand. He touched this man. What? He touched this man? The man probably had not had anybody touch him in years. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. Instead, he had people running from him, throwing rocks at him. But Jesus touches him. Because why? Jesus is willing to touch the unclean. He is publicly doing this in front of everybody. And that was big. Because the religious leaders back then had a rule that if you touched a leper, you would be religiously unclean. But Jesus believed that what made one unclean was what lies on the inside, not the outside. That's what sin does, right? Sin makes us unclean, not a skin condition. And so we are all unclean. (laughs) But Jesus says to the leper, I'm willing so Jesus says, I'm willing to heal you, to make you clean. And so he says, be cleansed. We see with Jesus here this compassionate heart. Touching this unclean man. And we see Jesus' power to heal him. 
and his authority to immediately cause this man's condition to completely change. Just like that. You see, one of the characteristics of Jesus' healing was immediate and total wholeness and restoration. And that's what we see here. Immediately, immediately. Jesus looks at the man in verse 14. He says, he orders him to tell no one, right? But go, he says, and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. But as, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them, but the news about him was spreading even further and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed over their sickness as well. We find in Leviticus 13, 14, these guidelines in the Old Testament for how the Israelites were to interact with lepers. But we also find in the same place what they are to do when one is healed or one is cleansed. What's to be done? And so when one is healed, the leopard would plan a meeting with a priest at a safe location as they would meet somewhere outside the city. There would be a sacrifice offered as well at this gathering as it was a recognition that God had healed them. And so it was a sacrificial setting that we see in the Old Testament. And then the priest would declare that the leper would clean or was cleansed. And so what you have is this beautiful picture of a recognition of healing, but also a setting of sacrifice, recognizing that God had done this. So it's a beautiful picture. What would happen after that is the leper usually would get bathed. Can you imagine that? I hadn't taken a bath in years. In years. Could you imagine being reunited with family and friends? You thought the prodigal had a party. I imagine the leper going home had quite a reunion. But Jesus tells the man, tell no one, except go to the priest. But this man, what I love about this, this man can't not tell anyone. <laughs> right? Isn't that amazing to think about? Here Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone, right? And this is kind of a trend, and people keep telling people, right? Jesus is telling the church today, tell everybody. And who's saying anything? See, people who have experienced life change, who experience miracles and the power of God, how could you not? Explain it. How could you not point people to the one who has changed you? And that's what this guy does. He, he can't not tell anybody. And so news spreads. I'm going to tell you just two quick things that, that I think Jesus does. I think the goal of Scripture, when we see physical healings, I think is to relay spiritual truths. Okay? Is to relay spiritual truths. And so what do we expose from this? I think is really two quick things. Is that one... Um, when we see that the leper is unclean because of obviously he's stricken disease that affected him, I think what we see right here is we see what, what makes us unclean, right? Is sin, right? Just real simple, but it's sin. But, but where do we get this? I mean, you were to say, okay, well, that's, that's a great, that's a great picture, but, but where do we get that where we could really land? And so I just want to share this. Isaiah 1, 4 through 6. I want you to hear what the prophet says. This is God speaking through him. Alas, he says to the sinful nation of Israel, 
people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion, he asked. The, Lord, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged nor softened with oil. And so there you even have kind of an analogy of leprosy. And what is he talking about? He is talking about the heart of a nation, the heart of the people of God who've been rebellious against God because of their sin and disobedience. And so all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, we all have. We're all unclean. And what are we in need of? The second point that I think this picture gives us this morning is we're in need of the only one, Jesus Christ, who has the power and authority to make us clean. And that's what God communicated to the Israelites. In Isaiah 1, 18, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, your life is stained. Your soul is stained, your heart is stained, is dirty, is unclean because of sin. They will now be as white as snow. They will, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That's what God does. Jesus is the only one who can cleanse. Through his life, he is the only one who can answer and meet our greatest need. Nothing else can. And just like he heals the leper, he does the same to our soul and hearts. When we come to him in a desperate, humble act and say, I need your help. Please cleanse me. There's no other way. I believe you can cleanse me. Cleanse me. Make me new. And guys, wherever you're at today, maybe you don't know Christ, right? Get on your knees. Get on your face and say, Lord, cleanse me. Change me. Trust him for that. If you're here today, maybe you know Christ, but you're struggling with something. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's something else, and you are in a situation and you don't know how to get out. Look at the leper, fall down on your face, and say, Jesus, cleanse me. Cleanse me. It's your only, only hope. Only hope. Nothing else will do that. And so that's the point. That's what he wants us to get. So Jesus ministers. He does this. But look what happens next. In verse 16, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. And so I love Luke. He just kind of throws these little things in. It's like, hey, Jesus gets away. He goes and finds solitude. He finds rest and recovery. We've heard that three times since we started Luke. And so what's the point here? Those who throw themselves into ministry to help people, you've got to get time in the word and prayer or when you meet with them, you will have nothing to offer them. And so he meets with the Father, and he gets restored, and he gets his rest. He gets time with the Father. We've got to get time in the Word. We've got to get time in prayer. We've got to get time where we get away and we just worship. We've got to do that. Because look what enters in. Because what enters in is what we can be prone to sometimes if we don't meet with the Father. And we also will come face to face with this. But look what enters in religion. And Jesus is not about religion. But religion 
comes to town. Look at verse 17. One day he was teaching in a home, by the way, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And so who enters in is the Pharisees and the scribes. They were watching Jesus very closely as his popularity spreads, and they wanted to um, at first obey the Bible, but they had wrong motives and wrong reasons. They had the wrong answer. They ended up getting it all wrong, becoming enemies of Jesus Christ eventually being ones who would turn him over and have him nailed to a cross. And so they were the picture of what? Religion. They were the picture of religion. So what does religion do? It deflects and it distracts from Jesus. That's religion. That's religion. It deflects and it distracts from Jesus as it does one thing. It centers on man and man obeying commands to receive God's love and favor. It's all about what man can do instead of relying completely on Jesus' grace to save us. Religion also does this. It doesn't recognize the real need. It doesn't recognize the real need and therefore it doesn't recognize the real answer to our need. And so religion joins the crowd in the home, and look what happens. Verse 18 through 19, some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof. They let him down through the tiles with a stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. So this paralyzed man, his friends, they had also heard, just like the leper, of Jesus too. And the man's friends are trying to bring him into where Jesus is, but the home is too crowded for them to get in. Can you imagine that scene? This man's friends, though, they won't be stopped. They will not be stopped as they will do anything, it seems like, to get their friend to Jesus. And so it got me thinking this week, asking questions. What are you and I willing to do to bring our friends to Jesus, right? What about inviting them to church, right? Now today, that might be a little harder. We might think, well, that's, that sounds easy as maybe it used to be, right? Be creative. Invite someone to church with you and then say, hey, I'd, I'd love for you to come to church with me and lunch with me, right? I'd love to take you to lunch afterwards. Um, or maybe, hey, we come to church with me and Maybe we can meet for breakfast before. Maybe they're more of an early riser. And I'd love to, hey, let's meet for breakfast afterwards. Hey, I'd love for you to go to church with me and, and invite them that way. There's many different ways and we can bring our friends to Jesus, right? Invite them to dinner, to our house. Be creative, right? To be honest with you, why, why do we do an event like this? Um, so kids can get more candy, <laughs> Right? Yeah, right? It's, it's simply being creative, a way to connect with people, a way for, for you to bring friends and family that maybe you know and to an event that hopefully is fun and engaging and that's what we're going to do Saturday before Easter. We'd love to invite you to come out and be a part of this, to take some eggs, fill them up. But why do we do that? Uh, we do that to, to invite people. We do that because we want tiles to come off roofs. We want people to be lowered down and meet Jesus. 
And that's what these guys did. But if we're all honest, there are many things trying to get us from getting our friends to Jesus, right? The first is us. <laughs> and if we're honest, that's where I landed. It's my desires, my wants, my laziness, my fear. What are they going to think if I say something to them? What are they going to say if I hand this John Piper book, 50 Reasons Why Christ Died for Them, right? Which is a great book, by the way, and a great book to hand to lost people, right? You might have somebody read it and say, hey, thank you for handing that to me. Or you might have an atheist say to you, hey, do you want me to throw this away, give it back to you? What's the option? <laughs> I've had that before. It happens. But what are we willing to do? What gets in the way? Another thing that gets in the way, and it did on this day, was religion. Religion. See, Jesus is about a relationship. Jesus is about a life-changing relationship based on what he has done for you and the power of him to change you. And religion gets in the way of that. And the religious people did nothing on this day for the paralyzed man. Nothing. And that's what religion gets you. At the end of the day, is nothing. Nothing. And religion sends billions of people to hell for eternity. But Jesus, Jesus says, come, just as you are, with your brokenness, with your leprosy, with your feet that cannot move and can't walk and you can't feel, bring it. And Jesus says, bring your alcoholism. Jesus says, bring your addictions. Jesus says, bring it all. And I'll change you. And I'll heal you. And so they did. They bring him to Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. See, they believed Jesus could heal. It seems the paralytic did as well as he trusted his buddies. What does he say? He saw their faith. What does faith do? Faith is how we gain approval with God, right? That's what God asked for, even the size of a small mustard seed, that we would trust and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he is the only one who has the power and authority to change us. And yes, he's the only one who can forgive us of sins. And then on this day, he sees their faith. He says, your sins are forgiven. So this is, a, this is an amazing day, right? I mean, we... We just have someone who have had their sins forgiven. Now, you guys know probably the rest of the story. Andrew read it for you, right? This guy's going to get up and walk. But before that happens, we have an amazing day, right? This guy just got told, and his buddies, your sins are forgiven. Whoa. That is a miracle. It's an invisible transaction, right? We can't see it. But right there, that is headline news. Friend, Jesus calls him friend. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Religion doesn't like that. Look at verse 21. The scribes and Pharisees begin to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who 
or blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so what are they doing instead of rejoicing? The fact that Jesus just declared, these guys have had a life-changing experience because of faith in Jesus Christ. What are these guys doing? Well, they're critiquing things. Well, Jesus, the music's not cool enough. (laughs) Jesus, when's the last time you did a cool event for us? I mean, they're just critiquing stuff away. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, come on now. You're good. You, you, you know these guys? Have you met these guys? Did you, did you see what they did last night? I mean, they're critiquing. That's what religion does. Religion critiques. It critiques, it critiques, it critiques, it critiques. It always looks to find something wrong. And that's what these guys are doing, man. They are front row and center. They're on their laptops. They're blogging. They're going at it. They're finding everything. And they're being critical. That's why they're there. They have a huge issue with Jesus declaring he can forgive sins. And in that, he is saying he's God. If we're honest, though, this morning, we we all have a little Pharisee in us. We all do. I do. We all have a little bit of Pharisee. These guys critique, but listen to what Jesus says in verse 22. Aware of these reasonings, because they just asked about, why are you forgiving sins? You're saying you're God. You're blaspheming. So he says back to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? So which is easier? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, get up. Pick up your stretcher. Go home. A few things going on here. Jesus says that he's the Son of Man. That's big. Jews knew very well what that meant. Daniel 7, 13, 14 declares (laughs) this. The Son of Man has authority, dominion, another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying here, That's who I am. That's who I am. Jesus is declaring, I'm that coming Messiah. I'm the one who has authority to forgive sins on earth, to make new creations of people, and to tell this paralytic even to get up and walk. Because that's what Jesus does. That's what the Messiah does. And he's the only one that can do that. And then second, the forgiveness of sins. This beautiful, invisible transaction that's real and evident in in life change eventually happens here. It's greater than the physical healing as it answers the greatest need of this paralytic and the greatest need of his friends of complete healing and restoration of the soul on that day. And third observation is this. The bonus is the physical healing, right? As he says to this man, Get up and walk. But more evidence of the truth that Jesus is God. He's the Son of Man. He has authority over everything, dominion over everything. He is God. Immediately he got up before them in verse 25, picked up what he had been lying on, the man did. He went home glorifying God. <laughs> wow. They were all struck with astonishment, began glorifying God, and they were all filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. That is a heck of a life group. Right? 
That's a heck of a small group. Wow. But this is what happens, right? It's what happens when one has their life so radically changed. They step in baptismal waters and they let everybody know, I've experienced the power and the authority of Jesus Christ to forgive my sins, just as Jake did today. But this is what happens when men and women experience healing from alcoholism, addiction to pornography. This is what happens. They, they realize, they recognize, look what Jesus has done for me as they submit to his power and authority to change them. They glorify God, and they recognize only God could have done this, and they're thankful for it. As we close our Bibles, turn our phones off, a few thoughts as John comes up. Church family, we got to believe that God can take a little fourth grader's dad and change his addiction. We got to believe in the power and authority of God to change lives and believe that God can do it. Just like the leper, simply by asking. That's all we have to do to humble ourselves, fall on our face, and desperately say, Lord, I need you to do it. I need you to change me. We've got to believe like the friends of the paralytic and do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus because we believe in the power and authority of God. And so if we were to say, what's another reason that keeps us from bringing people to Jesus is because we don't believe in the power and authority of God. And so we've got to start believing in the power and authority of God because he's God. I mean, let's never get mixed up in the thing that, in stuff we can do, guys. I mean, we, we can do a lot of creative things, and, and we can do a lot of stuff, and I mean, we're even thinking about building and adding on and stuff like that, but I mean, let's just be brutally honest. I mean, all that stuff in the end of the day means nothing if the power and the authority of God is not changing lives. And we can put on a facade, and we can act like it. But it takes being the leper and humbly saying, God, you're the only one to cleanse me. If you're willing, will you do that? It's taking the belief of the power of these friends and in, in, in this paralytic. They believed in the power and authority of God to do something, and they would do whatever it takes. Because why? Because they believed in the power and authority of God. It's so a church, oh man. We have to believe that God can change lives because we see the need every day. Whether it's in the little kid at career day or whether it's in the guy at your place of work, the lady that you've gotten to know, that neighbor, that friend, whoever they are, and you know, oh man, they need a change. Believe in the power and authority of God. And let's start reaching out to the hurting, to the outcast, to the woes that the world shuns. And I just want to simply ask you today, who are you carrying to Jesus? Who are you discipling? Who are you telling about Jesus? I hope and pray you're not here to play religion. Religion is about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about critiquing. But our call 
is to love and to care and to point the unclean to sinner. The sick, the hurting, the broken, the oppressed to Jesus Christ. And lastly, if you're here today and you're like, hey, listen, that's where I'm at. I, I'm in that camp. I'm there. We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been in that place of brokenness, in that place of needing a Savior. And so if you're there today, I want you to look at this leper. I want you to look at this paralytic man, these friends, and realize, wow, their life got changed. They, their life got radically changed. If you don't know Christ today, I want you to know that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. It's my story. It's the story of many in here today. It looks very similar to what you read here. But we can all stand up and say, God changed my life through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus does. If you don't know Christ today, may you humbly bend your life and submit your life to the power and authority of Jesus Christ to change you, to cleanse you, to forgive you of sins. Trust that. Believe that. The Bible says when we do, Romans 10, 9, we will be saved. And he gives us the free gift of eternal life. Immediately, guys. A heart that is restored and made new. That's what Jesus does. And we've seen it here today. Believe it.